it can be a really lonely ride as a business owner and as an entrepreneur sometimes. But what I would, what I've really learned and what I'd love to share is that you are not alone. And there's a lot of people out there that want to help you. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Local Business Hacks Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Nicolanti, on a mission to help you. This show is here to educate you, inspire you, and most importantly, motivate you to dominate your competition. Whether you're brand new and just opening your doors or looking to level up your existing business, you're in the right spot. Now, let's get this party started and talk some local business hacks. Welcome back, local business hackers. That's some awesome stuff we're going to talk about today. Uh, our guest here today is Daryl Hicks, who is the founder and CEO of FlexPay. So, Daryl, welcome to, the, to, the, to today's call. Thanks a lot, Dave. Thanks for having me. So, Daryl, we're going to dig into your business here in just a minute. But for everybody out there listening, there's some really cool things that, that are out there that you probably aren't taking advantage of. But what we're going to talk about, Daryl, is how you can find some, what I, what I like to call kind of bonus or magic money. And it's like hidden money out there that you're not taking advantage of. Yeah. So everybody needs to learn some of these tips, some of these tricks that Daryl has, has perfected over the years. So Daryl, welcome to the call. I'm telling you, do me a favor. Um, let's say you and I are riding, riding on an elevator, going to the fifth floor. Give me the elevator pitch real quick on FlexPay. <laughs> yeah, we help e-commerce companies and really anybody that accepts credit cards over the phone or over the internet to reduce credit card declines. We are an AI driven decline salvage tool. So to reduce credit card decline. So essentially we do a, a lot of our listeners are in the, uh, in the wellness world. Mm. So if they have a monthly subscription plan, um, they, so their car gets ran every, every month through their, through their point of sale, through their CRM processing system, whatever. And let's say it expired. Mm. <laughs> and so that's something where you help out with that and kind of recovering that money and keeping that, the payments come in and seamless, correct? Yeah. I mean, look, if you want to divide churn, I, so I had, I was a merchant for a long time selling monthly recurring subscription programs and uh, eventually got so good at it that I kind of developed a reputation in the direct marketing world as being the optimization and efficiency guy. And so I launched a third-party administration business about 10 years ago and started running back office for some really big brands. We were completely transparent to the consumer but we would answer the phone as the brand and we would take care of all the billing. And the way our pricing model worked in the third-party administration business, TPA for short, um, was uh, we will only charge you if you make more money with less risk. And so we had this huge incentive to really get in and build tools to optimize the business. And, uh, and the way that I look, and, and to give you an idea of scale, like we, we sold to directly or serviced uh, tens of millions of customers over 15 years in four different continents. We were big in Brazil, United States, Canada, UK, and Australia. About 70% of everything we did was in the US. And we had a lot of data. Um, and again, this huge incentive built into our business to really optimize that. And, and I look at churn. If you want to have like the highest possible lifetime value on your customer base, I divide churn into two buckets. It's either voluntary churn where people email you or call you up and say, I don't want this product or service anymore or involuntary churn. And for a lot of the really good quality merchants out there, it's about a 60-40 split with 60% being the involuntary stuff. And it still boggles my mind. I was on the phone with, you know, a really savvy serial entrepreneur has had multiple businesses and he just recently acquired um, this direct-to-consumer business. And they have like thousands of people that they charge monthly. And he was complaining to me about, it seems like we're losing just as many people as we're bringing in and my member base is flat. 
And so I asked him that question, like, well, you know, what are you doing about your involuntary churn? And he says, oh, that's not a problem for me. <laughs> if it was a problem, my CFO would let me know. My, my director of finance would let me know. But, you know, no, our problem is all, you know, it's all churned the, on people just reaching out to us and not wanting the product or service anymore. And I'm like, well, I'd love to know what you're doing because you're obviously much smarter and better than me if that's really the case. So why don't you go take a look with your finance team? Comes back to me the next day and he's like, dude, you wouldn't believe this. 15.6% of all of our subscriptions are declining and no one told me because they just thought, well, that's normal. We must be tapped right. into a subprime demographic or something. It just if Visa tells you it's declined, it's declined, right? No. Right. And even that example I gave earlier was actually probably a poor example from, from our prior conversations with, with the, the expired credit card. Hmm. Because churn, involuntary churn is a whole lot more than that. And yeah, so expired cards is only about 4% of all the declines on average. Um, so if you've got a pool of declines, 4% of that pool, not 4% of your whole business, but 4% of the ones that decline are going to be for expired cards. And there are good strategies out there for that uh, account updater if your listeners aren't. So, so one of the interesting things about this is that all kinds of businesses that used to be brick and mortar face-to-face -face never had this problem. Because if you look at the average decline rate, in face-to-face -face business, it's 1.4% declines. That means 98.6% is the average across all transactions in America on Visa and MasterCard rails. But now with COVID, everything's moving online. Right. Like E-commerce, all these people that used to have people coming into their branch, coming into their business, now they're accepting payments online or over the phone. And all of a sudden, especially the ones doing the monthly recurring, are like, what in the world is all these declines? And a lot of people are thinking it must be because of COVID. It must be because people are stretched thin and they just don't have enough money. But no, actually, the average decline rate on face-to-face -face is 1.4. The average decline rate on e-commerce is 15.0. That's wow. the average decline rate on all e-commerce transactions on Visa's rails in America today. Um, and so the problem's really been exacerbated by, by COVID with all these people now moving online. Like, I never had this problem in my business before. What the heck is going on? So if you are accepting payments online or over the phone, if you are especially running monthly recurring transactions, they're like account updated. We were going to talk about like free tools and hacks that you can have to optimize your business, but might as well just, since you're talking about expired cards, drop that one right now, like account updater is huge. It's a free service that Visa and MasterCard run. You can access it through your merchant bank usually. Uh, and it's free to upload your entire database of all of your users, all the cards that you have on file. And if there are any updates, Visa charges you about eight cents for the update and they manage it on behalf of MasterCard as well. So you get both Visa and MasterCard updates. And I mean, look, to get to get updated card information and updated expiry date, or if a card is replaced for fraud or, or lost or stolen, like for example, I'm with uh, Allstate Insurance and I recently had to have my card replaced for fraud. And I was like, oh man, I'm gonna have to call all these different companies and give them my new card information. And sure enough, I forgot to call Allstate Insurance. And I'm like, oh no, I said to my wife, like, Sweetie, like two months ago, I forgot, I completely forgot to call Allstate. And then I went and looked at my statement. And I'm like, oh my goodness, charging the new card number. And I was like, oh, good for them. They're using account <laughs> updater, right? So my old card number was canceled for fraud. 
but Allstate, obviously, very smart merchant, is using account updater and they automatically got the new card number and they're automatically building my insurance policy. I'm happy, they're happy, everybody wins. So this is really low-hanging fruit right. that, uh, that everyone, but unfortunately, a lot of merchants just aren't aware of it. Um, a lot of companies aren't aware of it, but that's a, that's a really great tool that will help with some of that involuntary journey. Yeah, so I want to pause for a second. So everybody listening, if you are running any type of online payments or non-person-to-person transactions, if you're not doing that at the very minimum, you're losing money. Yeah. So that's that's a huge gold nugget for you guys just right now that you can take and use to reclaim and regain not only the customers coming back in and their activity, but also the money that comes along with them. So at the very minimum, if you get anything out of this out of this interview here with Daryl, do that. <laughs> you're going to get a lot more here as we keep talking. So mm -hmm. Daryl, tell me a little, a little bit about FlexPay. Who do you guys work with? Who's your audience? So we work with... Um... Well, first of all, anybody who is in the e-commerce and, and recurring billing subscription world has this problem of false declines. And false declines is the terminology that the banks, the issuing banks actually use. It's not Visa or MasterCard who decides if a transaction is going to be approved or declined. It's not your merchant bank. It's actually the issuer. That's the name of the bank on the piece of plastic on the card of your customer, your customer's card, right? And they're trying to keep fraud out of the ecosystem. They get it wrong a lot of times. They generate, uh, you know, MasterCard came out with a report says about $440 billion a year in the U.S. alone of false declines. That's before COVID. It's much worse now. Uh, we're just waiting for the updated numbers uh, from the end of 2020. Um, so pretty much anybody who's online, but definitely there are some sweet spots in there. I would say just people that are selling products that are discretionary, right? Um, where the onus is kind of on the customer where, yeah, they love your product and they're engaged, but is it really going to seriously damage their life if all of a sudden their subscription with you lapses? If not, then really you have to be hyper-focused on mending your relationship with them. Again, I would argue that anybody that's in the online space or selling subscriptions should be paying close attention to this and doing something about it. But definitely if you're selling discretionary goods, uh, I think the health and wellness space is, is huge for this. We service a lot of people actually in the health and wellness space, also SaaS businesses. We have some very large SaaS businesses that process, you know, north of $700 million a year who are using our service to kind of fix subscription payments. Uh, we work with charitable organizations because lately more and more of the revenue coming into charities is monthly donations where someone signs up and agrees to donate monthly and the card works for the first four or five months and then all of a sudden it starts declining and the charity's like why what's going on and i love helping the charities that's a real good feel good application right. of our technology um, we also work with a lot of uh, direct marketers and drtv merchants that's direct response television advertisers uh, so i mean it kind of runs the whole gamut we even have some utilities uh, cell phone, we just signed up a cell phone carrier, actually a small cell phone carrier that uh, came to us to say, why do I have all these declines uh, every month? And you, and again, I wouldn't have thought that that's a sweet spot because you need your cell phone. Like in 2021, everybody has to keep their cell phone service alive. And if your payment declines on your cell phone and they're threatening to cut off your service, you've got a huge motivation as the consumer to go fix that. So you'd think the cell phone carriers don't care as much because they know their customers are going to come to them to fix it. And yet still, this mobile carrier came to us and said, yeah, for sure, we have customers that reach out to us, but then there's all this friction and we have the customer service expenses. And if you've got an automated solution that can fix this behind the scenes, uh, we'd love to hear about it. So Automation makes the world go around nowadays. Sure does. <laughs> so that's awesome. So wide variety of customers. And as we, even like in, in Main Street USA, 
And as we see a lot of our businesses and we're getting our business, our business owners are forced to be a little bit more creative now in 2020, moving into 2021, where they're doing more things online, they're selling product, they're selling subscription plans, um, being creative because they're forced to. But I, I really love what that does. I mean, out of, out of the craziest, hardest times, that really leads to more creativity. And that's when businesses are really made. That's when the true entrepreneurs have, to, have a chance to shine. Absolutely. So I love that flex pay and, and kind of how you do things. It can just make it easier and give a bigger benefit to them and keeping things moving for them. Yeah. So something that absolutely need to look into this if you're doing anything with that online payment. So tell me a little bit about flex pay. How long have you guys been around? So I started dabbling with all this involuntary churn stuff in like 2006, 2007. I used to work with a bank in Boston and helped them develop some technology around fixing this. Um, and I was their first client to actually use the, their decline salvage product. But then they sold, the bank sold to a bigger bank in 2012. And the bigger bank said, well, we don't care about solving this problem holistically. We just want to use this uh, authorization optimization tool as a shiny object to attract and retain merchants. And I'm like, well, well, that doesn't work for me. I need something that works across all banks, works across all platforms and really gets into the guts of uh, the Visa MasterCard ecosystem. So I'm a serial entrepreneur, self-taught coder. I've always had, you know, either tech businesses or tech enabled businesses. And so in 2012, I said, you know, what? I'll start messing around with this myself, hired a team of developers and it was all a rules-based system. And from 2012, 2016, it gave us, you know, way better performance than any other tool that we could find out there, but it was all internal use only. <laughs> uh, but the problem with rules is that they don't scale. Like if this, then that, if this, then that, but then you have conflicting rules. And then, so you have to put them in a weighted algorithm and these decision trees, it just turns into spaghetti, right? And again, there's a lot of, a lot of, we had a lot of business, a lot at stake. So like, you know, getting an extra 1% could sometimes mean hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in transaction flow. And we had over a billion dollars in transactions, actually, actually over a billion individual transactions in our data mart in 2016. And I said, you know what, this really seems like a problem built for machine learning. Um, and I use that word deliberately because I, I don't like it when people talk about AI too much. I mean, I use AI, we're an AI driven tool, but it's machine learning, right? So it's sophisticated pattern matching. And awesome. uh, so I hired a team of devs from a struggling startup, vetted the crap out of them with some of the guys that you and I actually know through SaaS Academy, uh, came back with a resounding thumbs up. And in 2016, we rebuilt everything from scratch in Microsoft Azure using machine learning and saw this immediate massive spike in performance on recovering all these declined transactions. And I'm like, you know what? I think I wanna take this and turn it into a standalone B2B <laughs> SaaS business. Because mm -hmm. I know I'm not the only one that has this problem, right, Dave? Right. Um, and so, yeah, in 20, late 2016, we decided to, we launched the technology for internal use. And in April of 2017, had our first outside revenue as a SaaS business. So I kind of view that as being the birth of uh, the birth date of FlexPay. <laughs> but I mean, but the right. real story is we'd already, we had the earned insights and the data and everything to enable us to get into that that spanned back over a decade before we actually launched. So yeah, the big overnight success that has the best performing tool in the market. How'd that happen? Well, as you know, Dave, there's always a, there's always a story behind the story, right? Overnight success that's only like about 17 years in the making. Yeah, exactly, that's it. <laughs> that's great stuff. So I, I we understand a little bit about how FlexPay works and you can recovering payments. Um, you mentioned the account updater earlier. Mm -hmm. And what else could I mean, today's local businesses do 
to solve or what's it look like for them to solve and fix that problem without something in place like a machine learning tool like FlexPay? Yeah. So there's all kinds of low hanging things. And I love uh, kind of geeking out on this because even if you can't use our technology for some reason, there's a lot of things that you can do, especially in a smaller business that are good enough, right? Which especially in a smaller business, sometimes you just need good enough. Um, so I kind of divide what we do uh, into three categories, time, transit, and data cleanup. So time is if you have a declined payment, re knowing when to retry it, time of day, day of week, date of month, this works really well for NSFs, but it also works well for do not honors. And if you ever see a transaction that comes back with a decline code that says do not honor, that is almost a certain guarantee that you have bumped up against the fraud system at the issuing bank and they're declining your transaction because they think something sketchy is going on, either with the card or with you or with something else. And this is usually like a good solid, depending on the merchant, like about 40% of all your declines come back in this do not honor category. So taking the do not honors and retrying them at a better time actually helps them too, because believe it or not, um, so when we had a lot of data, right? We had like, right now we're up to 5.3 billion transactions in our proprietary data market. We would see these weird things like all things being equal, same price point, same type of merchant, same, same acquire, same everything, right? Uh, at JP Morgan Chase, Visa debit, credit card declines would be double at 2 a.m. what they were at 2 p.m. Like, it doesn't mean you have a 100% decline rate at 2 a.m. It's just right. the declines were double. Like, what's going on there, right? It's because somebody in their infinite wisdom at the bank decided that if a transaction's running through in the middle of the night, it's a higher likelihood that it's fraud. And so, but what happens with like dev companies or like, you know, startups, they take their, all their batches of recurring billing transactions and they queue them up for off hours when, when everyone's sleeping and they run it out, uh, they run the batch at midnight at one o'clock in the morning. That's when I'll run all my transactions through, not knowing that unfortunately they're artificially driving up their decline rate and leaving a bunch of money on the table. Um, the best time to retry transactions. Again, if you don't have a machine learning tool that gets really deep on the individual transaction, if you just want a one size fits all approach, make sure you take your NSFs and your do not honors and retry them on Fridays and Saturdays and try to do it within business hours, ideally in the afternoon East Coast time. And you will see right then and there a big, uh, a, a, like magic. All these NSFs and do not honors, all of a sudden, like 15, 20% of them, 22% of them, 30% of them come back approved, whereas they were declined before. What just happened? Well, I can tell you what happened, but just do it. Just, oh, that is awesome. Just, just do that, right? You know, as you're going through that story, I'm thinking, well, well, we do that. We do that. <laughs> we do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm looking forward to working with you a little bit more for, for my day job over here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good. No, and again, these are just, these are like simple things that like, if you don't know, you don't know, right? Um, second thing is uh, transit. Um, if you look at the really big merchants like Amazon and Netflix and Spotify, Microsoft, they never have just one merchant bank. They don't go to Stripe and just open up one account, right? That's good enough if you're a small merchant, right? Because it can be a pain in the butt to have multiple relationships and do your load balancing and stuff. But why do, why do those big merchants have multiple merchant processing relationships? Like in the case of Netflix, they process a certain percentage of their business with WorldPay and a certain percentage with Chase Payment Tech. Why? Because they know that they will get a slightly higher approval ratio if they take certain cards and run them through Chase and other cards and run them through WorldPay. 
not all merchant banks are created equal in the eyes of the issuers and depending on the risk profile and whether or not the issuing bank has had a bad experience with that with that merchant bank they start to increase the risk rating of transactions that flow through there um, so i always tell people well first of all you should never have a single point of failure if you've got any kind of meaningful subscription business and you've got all these beautiful customers that have engaged with you and you got product market fit and you've collected all the payment information and you're holding it in a secure manner I mean, if you lose your ability to process Visa and MasterCard, that asset can never be turned into cash in your bank account. That's a single point of failure in your business that needs to be addressed. And unfortunately, that happens all the time. People are like, well, Stripe's never going to close my account. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, that happens a lot more than you'd like to think. Um, and it's not that Stripe wants to. It's that they're not a bank. They have a sponsoring bank, Wells Fargo, that has all kinds of different like rules that are changing all the time about who they'll work with and who they, who they won't. Um, I had a client the other day, um, he has a Russian national on his cap table who owns over 25% of the business and Stripe was doing some, well, Wells Fargo was doing due diligence on their merchants as they always do once a year and discovered that and uh, terminated their merchant account. He's like, what? Yeah, you have a Russian national that owns more than 25% of your uh, business. Uh, so we're shutting down your processing. Wow. Yeah, like just these random things that can come out of the blue, but also having a backup account and being able to leverage it and knowing especially what MCC you're in, your merchant category code. I see this all the time. Merchant merchant category code is a four digit number that is often you don't even know what it is. But when you apply for a merchant account, your merchant provider like Stripe or Braintree or whoever has to has to identify you as a merchant on the Visa network with a four digit code. And that four digit merchant category code has a massive impact on your approval ratios. Like we're saying, it can be as low as this is really extreme, but there's some MCCs that approve an average of only 50% of the time and some that approve 98% of the time, right? That's All things being equal. So getting into the right MCC, and we've done that for even a few SaaS businesses, guys that you and I know where they're like, because they were selling a product that was something around, you know, debt collection and stuff like that, they ended up tagged as a debt collection MCC, but really they're a SaaS business, a software business. Mm -hmm. And, and just switching them from that one MCC to the SAS MCC, they saw an 8% increase in approval ratios. They went from like a, an 86% to like a 94% approval rate. It was crazy. Well, I know we're, we're kind of going and geeking out on this a little bit, which I, which I love. Um, I know for everybody else out there listening, may or may not be totally into this, but in numbers and just what, what the opportunity is there is huge. Just want to kind of sum up real quick. I mean, if you're not able to use a company like FlexPay or you don't want to, there are ways you can do some of this stuff on your own. Just kind of sum up the basic one. At the very beginning, you talked about account updater. That can make, make a huge impact in just updating any fraudulent cards that were changed, expired cards, things like that. Then doing simple things like running those cards at different times of the day, you will get better results. Friday afternoons, Eastern time, just think about that. <laughs> As yeah. an average, if you change it up, take it from 1 a.m., 6 a.m., whatever you're doing, try it at that time. And then having your backup processor. Because if Stripe decides, hey, we're not going to work with you right now, you got to have a backup option. <laughs> so some really powerful, really important stuff. You kind of need to have your backup plan there. So that's mm -hmm. all great stuff, Joe. I love it. Um, let me ask you this. So I, I love listening to you talk also. I mean, it's it's funny. We're, talk, we're talking numbers. You're talking money coming in. You know all the data. And you're obviously excited about it. I'm sure you've had some big impacts with some customers and, and how the – like it being inspiring and turning their business around or having, or maybe having a big impact. So do you have like a story, maybe your most inspiring client um, mm -hmm. that you'd like to share? 
Yeah, I have a client. Well, we have some really big clients where, you know, I think there's one client in particular in December, we recovered $1.2 million in failed payments for them in one month, <laughs> which was just massive in, in driving EBITDA and really kind of saved their, their, their quarter as a publicly traded company. Uh, but the stories that I really enjoy is I'm working with a really, really bright uh, group of guys, two brothers in San Diego, and they're incredibly gifted selling like a health and wellness product and they're doing it right. You know, like their chargebacks are super low. They really care about brand. They care about company culture. They've got an incredible team of people they put together, these gorgeous offices, and they were just running on razor thin margins. Like so many businesses are like, if you're not cheating in the space, more often than not, you're running on really, really thin margins. And they were down as low as like, you know, seven, eight percent net margin in their business after all was said and done. And they switched on FlexPay and we were able to recover 56% of all their failed transactions on their merchant bank. But because they've already paid all the marketing costs, and these are customers that have already said, yes, I want your product and signed up. It's very, very margin rich. Like we're talking like 60% gross margin, right? So a massive amount of that money that we've recovered flows straight down to the bottom line. We were able to take their net margin from six, 7% all the way up to 15% net margin money in their pockets. And, you know, I saw them go and, you know, buy cars for some of their like lead executives at their Christmas party. Um, I see what they're doing with like, you know, donating to charities in their area, really avid donators. Now they're, they have so much more capital to invest into better hires. They have so much more capital to invest into better products. And they sell really great products to a really engaged audience in the health and wellness space. And the reason why they're able to do all those things to invest and have all that impact is because they have a business that rather than just scraping by barely making it work has a little bit more grease between the wheels. And that's literally just because of what we were able to do in taking this ridiculous friction that has no business being there in the first place out of the payments ecosystem. And when I see stories like that, that really kind of lights me up. It makes me feel like, uh, you know, like, this is this is this is good and i mean like i could talk about the charities too like it's super fun to like work with charities and and actually help people give money to the charity that they want to give to and reducing right. the friction there but I, as an entrepreneur like entrepreneur to entrepreneur business leader to business leader when i get to see the impact i have on somebody's business it makes me feel good yeah they're just freaking incredible and it doesn't matter what your monthly expenses are i'm sorry your monthly revenue is and going from six percent to fifteen percent no matter what bracket you fall into and that's going to have a huge impact. And that's like, we, we started this call off talking about magic money. <laughs> and that, yeah. that money that that's there, that's falling through the cracks that people are missing out on. And that's yeah. what you let companies do and you find it for them, which is, I just find that incredible. So that's great stuff. Awesome, Daryl. So um, I'm going to put you on the spot right now. So you know who, you know who's going to be listening here, Daryl. Um, what, what kind of, like, share a hack that all business owners could use right now. And regardless of what industry they're in, if they're a gym, if they're a restaurant, if they're a personal mm -hmm. trainer, investor, whatever, there's something that small business owners today can use in your years of infinite wisdom. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, there's a lot of lessons that I've learned over, you know, FlexPay is my seventh business. So definitely a serial entrepreneur. And the first, the first six were all organically funded and bootstrapped. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, it can be a really lonely ride as a business owner and as an entrepreneur sometimes, but what I would, what I've really learned and what I'd love to share is that you are not alone. 
And there's a lot of people out there that want to help you more than you realize. And we're all kind of beat up right now in COVID and the pandemic. It's a really, really tough time for people. But if you step out there and like, you know, like there's a bunch of people on Clubhouse now that are all like chatting and connecting with one another. There's mastermind groups out there. Like you and I met each other through a SaaS mastermind, right? Where SaaS leaders get together and uh, and support one another and, and come together to learn. And a big piece of what we get out of those masterminds and groups is just even sometimes validation. Like, yeah, you're doing the right thing. Yeah, this is hard, but you're not alone. You're not alone. And so that's the one message I would say, the one hack, like even for me right now, I'm trying to hire a VP of marketing and it's like breaking my brain and I just can't find the right person. And I just took the time to sit back and reach out to some of the people in my network and just say, hey, I'm having this problem and just be open and vulnerable about it. And and, and has anybody else had a problem like this before? And am I thinking about this the right way? And boom, had one of the investors in my company who says, oh, I can introduce you to the CMO of this other company over here. And that CMO says, send me your job description. I'll clean it up so that you're really fine tuned on the right people. And by the way, here's three candidates that I think would be good for you on LinkedIn. And I sent those over to my headhunter. And next thing you know, I'm talking to these high quality people. And how'd that all start? Because I lifted my hand up and I said, hey, I'm having a hard time. I, I'm lucky enough to have really good investors in my business, so they're already engaged and committed. But there are groups out there. There's mastermind groups on LinkedIn and uh, and on Facebook and on Clubhouse. And just put yourself out there and and be willing to be open and vulnerable and say, "Hey, I need help." And you'd be surprised. There's a lot of people out there, especially in the entrepreneurial communities, who want to help. And that's great advice, and that's something where. It's tough to realize that because it's you got to be smart enough to realize that hey you don't know everything, hmm. <laughs> and there, there's a certain a certain skill set that that requires and you have to be it's admitting to yourself hey you're not perfect, and people think these small business owners people who start their own business they know everything guess what we don't yeah. <laughs> we're just a little you, more daring I'd even say <laughs> if you think you know everything you're gonna get a wake up call real quick because you're gonna hit the exactly. wall and it's not gonna be pleasant <laughs> exactly so um that that's awesome advice to share I mean so go out and seek some seek some seek some help from people who've been through it too or who are going through it or have been through it because you're far from alone and that that's awesome I love hearing that so um here's one one of my favorite parts of interviewing people is I like to kind of sit back and let you do the work for a second <laughs> so Daryl, if, if um we've been talking for a little bit and i love the conversation but what question did i miss what's the question that i should ask you that can help small business owners just from your years of experience and your seven different businesses that you've that you've run what i miss what question should i ask you yeah i'd say one of the things that i love to to talk about is and it kind of comes along with that same sort of theme of like you're not alone there's more people out there that want to help you than maybe you first realize. But I often tell people that one of the smartest things that I ever did in building FlexPay was before I even had a single dollar of external revenue from external clients, uh, I went and built an advisory board and uh, reached out to people in my network. And I even offered them, in some cases, a little bit of equity in the company, like really super small amounts. But um, because I knew that this is a big problem and it's going to require a lot of help from really smart people. And, and I was humbled to see how many people said, yeah, absolutely. And, but I was very tactical about like, you know, uh, you and I both know Dan Martell and Dan Martell talks about this. And he says, you know, what are the eight things that if you had those eight things, your success as a small business owner would be an absolute foregone conclusion. 
like just it's absolutely guaranteed and automatic that if you had those eight things you would absolutely you'd be able to 10x your business and it's not even a question as to whether you'd be able to 10x your business it would be a foregone conclusion and maybe you don't want to 10x your business but just imagine like and, and every business has got like kind of like the top eight things and once you identify what those eight things are then you can start to think about well who are the people that could possibly fill those buckets that I know, or maybe even that I don't know, that I could reach out to cold on LinkedIn and tell them about what it is that I'm doing. And even if it's not a fit for them, maybe they know somebody that it would be a fit who could come and help me out. And building that advisory board was just such a game changer. Have this group of like really invested, committed, smart people that check certain boxes for me uh, in my business was was awesome. And uh, and I and I, I love telling other people about that because again, you'd be surprised. How many people out there are willing to, they understand that building a business is hard and you are deciding to lift your hand up and say yeah i'm going to go do this but there's That's other people great. that want to help you along that journey and, and that that advisory board it sounds all nice and fancy but i mean it can for every type of business out there you know have your own advisory board i mean if you're opening up your own diner i mean maybe you have a mentor that you worked with that had their own restaurant beforehand it's someone you can go to and and shoot the breeze with keep your sanity. <laughs> They've gone through it. They can, you can yes. bounce ideas off of each other. Just again, realizing that you're not alone out there is so powerful. And it's, yeah. such, um, I love so that you said that Dave, like that's such an important point. Like don't, you don't have to think about it as being all formal, like a, an advisory board or like telling people, I would like to have you on my board of advisors, man, <laughs> just like somebody that, you know, like, again, be, be very like, be rational about it and, and use that, like the eight boxes, the eight buckets as a framework. But then once you identify those people, just like reach out and hang out and shoot the breeze with them and, and get that advice. Sometimes all you just need, like you said, is a hearing ear and some validation or like, you know, one little tweak that improves your business by a half a percent. But then, you know, next week, it's another half a percent from somewhere else. And another week, it's a half a percent from somewhere else. And next thing you know, you're rolling. And, and one thing that I, I love from just doing this podcast here is being introduced and talking to different people. And one thing that is so common Everybody wants to help. I mean, everybody's been through, people have been in your shoes before. <laughs> like if you're a business owner having a challenge, there are people out there who can and who will help you. You just have to find them and ask. And there's so many boards out there, whether it's Facebook, whether it's a, I mean, there's so many different Facebook groups and that'd be a great place to start. But you're just mm -hmm. looking at your mentors, just going and using them, asking them to help because odds are they will. <laughs> so that's really powerful stuff. I love that. So Daryl, this has been awesome chatting with you. Um, tell me a little bit of where can our audience find you? Where are you most active? Like whether it's on social or website, hook us yeah. up. Where can we find you? I'm not a huge uh, social media guy, but I am on Facebook. It's probably the platform I spend the most time on just because I'm in a lot of really high quality closed groups. So I don't really post much, but it's a great way for people to find me and kind of reach out and DM me. Um, also flexpay.io, our website. Um, it's got like a contact information in there and my email is super easy. It's just Daryl at flexpay.io. So I don't mind throwing that out there. If any of this resonates and you want a little bit of like tips or advice, I allocate a certain percentage of my week every week to kind of just like giving back and doing like the mentorship and talking cool. to like kids who are getting into startups or like entrepreneurs who are struggling with something. And, and I love that kind of stuff, kind of like the giving back stuff. It lights you up and it makes you feel good. So makes it makes your day worthwhile. Yeah. <laughs> So Daryl, that's awesome. Uh, everybody will have the information underneath in the show notes as well for you to check out. But uh, Daryl, we appreciate you being on here. I wish mm -hmm. you the best of luck. Look forward to it. Uh, I know we talked about doing some work together as well. 
So hopefully we can bring all that, bring all that around and wish you the best of luck moving forward, bud. We appreciate you. Thanks again for having me, Dave. This was a lot of fun. Wow. So that was just some incredible stuff. So many tips, tricks, and things to implement. Remember, that was a lot of advice that was just shared right there. Advice that every type of business can use. So remember, find those couple of things that are fit for you. Figure out a plan, how to implement them, what to do. Don't try and do everything all at once right away. Remember that old saying, that old question, how do you eat an elephant? Well, if you know the phrase, you probably know where I'm going with this. But you can't do everything at, a, at one time. Remember, you eat that elephant simply one bite at a time. Set your plan, stick to it. So I want to give thanks to our awesome guest. If you want to find out more about today's topic, and guests, make sure to check out our show notes. Uh, all the guest information is there on our website, and that website is localbusinesshacks.com. Now, there's a dash between each word. So it's www.local-business-hacks.com. Check that out. And, of course, I want to give a big thanks to you for listening. So if you enjoyed this episode, please let us know. Leave a review on whatever service you're listening to this on. And if you have any questions or just want to keep the party going, please join our Facebook group at Local Business Hacks. Till next time, cheers.